welcome to the Restless Creatives podcast. Comfortable chats with inspirational creatives. Hosted by three self-confessed restless creatives, Lucy Hunter, Fiona Pickles and Bridget Girling. This week, we chat with the incredibly thoughtful and all-round creative, Jesse Quinn. He is best known perhaps as the bass player in globally famous rock band Keen. But over the last few years, alongside his music, Jesse, as a huge supporter of all the creative arts, has also developed an amazingly nurturing creative hub called Old Jet in his home county of Suffolk. He chose a good setting. It's so inspiring. The UK's most famous alien sightings were reported here 40 years ago. Jesse says they're still resident. Hello. Hello, Jesse. Hello. How are you? <laughs> so sorry I'm late. Oh, don't worry. We can't see you. We can hear you beautifully, but we can't see you. Oh, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> Gorgeous. We do that a lot. <laughs> what is it about a bloke, though? He can just do that and it looks okay. People have got um, awesome backgrounds. Like, <laughs> the most beautiful houses in the whole world. Like, what have you got going on there, green Jessie? screen. I'm just green sitting screen. in a little storeroom. I've <laughs> <laughs> got a mattress up there. <laughs> <laughs> Quick sleep. <laughs> are you at Old Jet or are you at home? I'm at Old Jet. I'm just in, I've got like a little, well, I have got, there's a little room at the end of um, the corridor in the flight sim where you did the oh, yeah. stuff with Craig. Um, Bridget and... It's a kind of little um, music room, writing room. It's absolute state because I'm changing the furniture in here, but there's like a piano and some speakers and that kind of thing. I bet that space has changed since I've seen it. Oh, hold on. Before we we talk about that, let me just introduce you. I don't know where everybody is on screen, but Fiona, for me, is here. Hello, Fiona. (laughs) And Lucy's, for me, is there. Hello. Hello. I've got you all in a little line along the top. Oh, have you? That's very clever. Have you done that? Oh, God, I don't have to do a little line. Can I don't do this one? It's one of the view. <laughs> oh, speaker. Speaker in view. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, okay. Ooh, screen, hello. No. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> oh, you I probably don't, don't want to do full screen. Maybe on half screen. Anyway, we're really delighted you're here with us today, Jesse. Yeah, thank you. That's very sweet of you to ask me. Oh. I don't know what. what. <laughs> What you're expecting to glean from me. But... We're, we're, we're expecting to have a lovely chat with you. In fact, why don't we start? Why don't you tell us all about you? <laughs> Whatever okay. you want to tell us. Uh, what, um, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I grew up in Suffolk. Yes. In, in the Shire. I uh, grew up in Framlingham. And, um, See, he's, he, he and I. There you go. Yeah. So that's together, is that close? So I know this is a big county, so is that... Yeah, yeah but we close. both grew up in Framlingham. Wait a minute, Liz. Oh, okay. Where are you? Where are, Fiona and Lucy, where are you? Because if you're not local... No, oh, we're not local. I'm, not local. I'm in Yorkshire. Oh, I'm in nice. North Wales. Good grief. I know. So um, <laughs> might as well be in, in, you know, Hollywood and New York. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be nice. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in our house. It's too cold. I'm yeah. so tired of the um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any other relevant information. So, mum and dad, mum, mum's singer, dad, sound engineer, uh, oh, and production God. manager. Um, yeah, musical family. Um, moved 
to Bristol after school and worked in a, in a studio there in a pub, like a, a sort of weird music venue pub. Um, then moved to London uh, and then started playing music as a job um, eventually after just assuming it would happen uh, without me having to do anything. I just, uh, <laughs> you actually have to put some, <laughs> some effort in. So, um, so managed to secure myself um, uh, a, a job as a musician in a, in a sort of, um, you know, kind of folk, folk um, outfit. Well, a, a female singer-songwriter, female, I don't know why I said female, it's a weird thing to say. Um, <laughs> a singer-songwriter called Laura uh, Marling, who's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah um, And so played with her for a while, which was a, a bit of a baptism of fire because we went straight into, into um, doing some touring. Um, and she, it was a really small band. There was only four of us, including Laura. I feel I need to confess a oh, shameful thing. Tell me. I don't know her. You don't oh, know Laura Marling? Oh, really? She's absolutely awesome. She's, um, yeah. she's kind of like a young Joni Mitchell crossed Ooh. with, I don't know. Well, I mean, she's like, she's a little bit of all the, all the folk greats. She's a bit of Dylan. She's, you know, she's a bit of Neil Young as well. Um, and she is uh, formidable as well. Um, but she was really young when I was playing with her and she didn't really know what um, she, I think she assumed my capabilities were far beyond what they were. So she'd say, okay, on this one, can you play um, banjo, accordion, piano, drum and shaker? Come um, <laughs> on, all the same time. <laughs> one man band. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Well, I can do those two at the same time, but I can't, I can't do all four. So I'd be this sort of like weird character at the side of the stage. Kind of like, Hopping <laughs> between everything um and then so my next job was that i got asked to do was with keen and that was playing bass and I, I was like four strings not having to pick up any other instruments this is ideal um and uh so it kind of went um went into being a different kind of baptism of fire because i went from playing to sort of you know a couple of hundred people um, to playing to sort of 20,000 um, mm. and having a sort of roadie and, you know. Because you were a roadie for a bit, weren't you? Yeah. You roadieing? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I well, still... What actually is that? Yeah. Explain what, what, a, is a what a roadie does. Well, here's the thing. You can't, you can't call them roadies anymore. Oh, um, why? Because they're techs. And because I think partly <clears throat> because that world has become so complicated mm. in recent years. You know, in the, in the 60s and 70s, you kind of had like a drum kit and a couple of guitar amps and not much else. And now you have sort of all kinds of computers talking to each other and, you know, they're, they're, they're all really um, super skilled mm. people. And, um, and they, they know all these sort of weird things that I know nothing about, like what an IP address is. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah so all they really do is set, set up and pack up the gear and everyone has a different kind of job so um you have lighting designers and you know front of house sound on stage sound all these kind of different roles um and growing up in a family that had the art side and the practical side i feel like i was sort of um I was really lucky because a lot of musicians and artists really don't understand 
the work that goes into that side of the show and and I think it can sometimes lead to them can be one of many reasons why they might end up being awful <laughs> awful awful mm. people um, <laughs> I, I heard a great story about Catherine Jenkins um, where she said to her tour manager she said what are all these lorries doing here they're all exactly the same as the ones at the, all the other gigs he said, yeah, it's got all of your equipment in it. What equipment? I've just got <laughs> my voice. realised that they took <laughs> yeah. all of the lights, all of the speakers, everything that makes it a gig apart from the actual walls and ceiling and stage and floor, it goes with you. So it's, I mean, it's like a travelling circus. I mean, Keen certainly is like a travelling circus. But um, so, yeah, I, I, I've done quite a lot of that sort of work. Um, Dad started me doing sound engineering stuff at quite a young age and helping him on jobs. So did he tour and, as well? Is that what he did? He didn't do a lot of touring, actually. He mainly did locally, you know, sort of local stuff. Mm. Um, and he was a cabinet maker and builder by trade. So he was a very sort of practical guy. And um, he got into it because someone said, can you build me some speakers? Um, and he sort of being the kind of guy he was he said well if I'm going to build some speakers I'll I'll, I'll build do it speakers. properly I'll, I'll try and do some really good ones and he got really interested in it and, and bought the amplifiers and all the stuff that you need if you've got speakers and um uh, and then kind of fell into that world and really really liked it and and there is a sort of practical side um to all of that technology that that um gets overlooked you know all the, the physics of um you know, hanging a bunch of stuff in, you know, above an audience and stuff, which is, mm. you can imagine these days, the, the health and safety oh, side of it is really intense. Mm. Um, so, well, that's me really. And then we um, stopped doing Keen in 2013. We all needed a break from it. And I moved back to Suffolk, which I promised myself I'd never do. I was ready to move to New York. I was like, I'm going to do something cool and fun and then moved to back to where I came from. And now I can't imagine looking anywhere else. I lo absolutely love it. There is something about our county. It just draws you back. So many people <laughs> leave and come back. It's, it's weird. And do you know what? I've, I've had a sort of sad realization lately that when I moved back, I was like, you know, we're, we're the kind of young families coming back, you know, we're the youngsters. And just recently, I think because of COVID and everything, people have been moving out to the country. But I've suddenly seen all these, you know, kind of 30-year-olds with babies and pushing chairs. And my kids are like seven and nine. I was like, oh, no, we're, we're moving up to being the, the, old the oldies one. already. It's so unfair. You'll be middle-aged before you know it, Jesse. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah. 40 in um, five months. God, 40? That's awful. <laughs> says Lucy the youngest of us three which she does yeah. mention quite a lot yeah, she does, drops it into the conversation yeah still the other end of 40 though well as long as none of us act it it's all right isn't it yes exactly, yeah, exactly. well said yeah <laughs> so tell us about old jet because you came back to Suffolk yeah. and you wanted somewhere to presumably be your bolt hole your base your recording place yeah and is that how Old Jet started? Yeah, so I've, I think um, um, I have a, uh, the blessing and curse of basically always 
confidently following my nose in life and um, never really having any plans, um, but just getting on with things regardless. And, you know, like I say, that can be a, a blessing and it can be a curse. And I, I had a small studio in Wandsworth when we were down in London. And so I had some equipment. And when I came back up here, with Pat Keen in for a while and I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to start doing some um, getting into record production or working with different people, but I knew I wanted to set this gear up that I had somewhere. And my dad's PA company was at Bentwaters, which is this old US Air Force base in, um, you know, proper rural Suffolk. Famous and for aliens. Said, yes. Oh, okay. yeah. What, real aliens? Famous, yeah, real famous aliens. rendition incident. Those guys are still around. They're great fun. Um, <laughs> it really feels like it on Bent Waters, doesn't it? You can really believe that's true. <laughs> it is a super eerie place. Yeah. Um, but really, it, what's what's sort of magical about it is it's got this kind of, you know, the Americans left here in 93, I think it was. And so it's been kind of, when they were here, everything was immaculate. You know, every blade of grass was exactly the same length and the same color green. And now it's got this slightly kind of dystopian thing going on, but in this beautiful English countryside. So, I mean, I I absolutely love that. I, you know, I, I've got no desire to be in a kind of, on, on like an industrial estate mm. or something with my creativity you know um it works for some people but I, you know i need a bit more help with, than that um anyway so the landlords dad introduced me to the landlords and they showed me a couple of small buildings that would have been great for a studio just so you know i always give the long answer oh it's like <laughs> this fine. is what we want <laughs> <laughs> it's always the really long answer that's good um and i i sort of looked at these studios and i thought oh this is great but you know having just come from London, I thought I'm going to get so bored and lonely out here on my own. And that, you know, I might sort of, might go a bit mad. So I asked them if they had any bigger buildings that I could potentially take on and share with a couple of people. And they showed me this building um, that you're familiar with Bridget, where you, you know, not the flight sim, but the, the, our kind of main building. Mm. And you've, you know, you've walked in through the front door and seen it that way, but when she showed it to me we walked in from this end door and the building was derelict completely like being taken back by nature and there were dead rats everywhere and we walked through this end door and I was a bit kind of like you know I like a challenge but this is um this is pretty intense but we walked into this room and it had this kind of built-in stage and I was like wow this is like a little venue you know you could have a gig in here and um, we walked around the building and I just got this sort of feeling that I had to do something with it. I was meeting loads of interesting people, having convinced myself that I was moving to a cultural wasteland. I sort of all these people around that were amazing artists and musicians and photographers and stuff. I thought, oh, maybe I could just do this building up and rent it to a bunch of people, rent space to a bunch of people. and and just see what happens. And when I didn't have this? any money to do it. How long ago was this? This was 2013. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I didn't have any money to do it. I knew I didn't want to have like one of those kind of arts places where you're 
constantly kind of going cap in hand to the arts council and stuff so i thought how can i make it a, a viable business so i took on uh one of the hangers uh and rang around a bunch of you know roadies techs and and bands on you and said look have you got any gear that needs storing it's cheaper than london you store it up with me it's way cheaper than london nobody will ever find it it's in this windswept strange place <laughs> yeah. <It'd be> <laughs> um, and the dalians guarding it <laughs> just up the road <laughs> two hours up the road and and so i filled this warehouse with stuff that instantly became you know a small business and and trickled money into me doing up this other building, which I started, like I said, I didn't have anything to do at the time. And we had a bit of money put aside for, because we were renting, we wanted to buy a house. So we had basically a deposit put aside. And um, we kind of lived on that a little bit for a while. And I maxed out, I basically got Barclays to put my credit card up to like 10 grand. <laughs> and max that out on paint and skips. And, <laughs> wow, um, that's a lot of paint. Yeah, <laughs> and, and light, light bulbs. Honestly, these you've never seen so many light bulbs in, in our building. And, um, and then I guess six or seven months later, the first tenants moved in. First, well, uh, Craig Gerling. My brother-in-law. Oh, okay. Photographer. <laughs> Two great photographers, um, and and off we went. And somehow, by the grace of God, it's still going now, and we still have people wanting space. And well, you have a waiting list, don't you? We've got a massive waiting list. Really? Wow! It's awesome. And we've got like we've basically got two rules for people moving in here. It has to be arts, and no dickheads. <laughs> Okay, so how, how do you, how do you, how do you, you define both those things? <laughs> now, you asked that, but I, I, will, I, I, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to make, make it a place where people are really supportive of each other and, and engage with the community side of what we're trying to do, rather than it just being a workspace they go to. Um, and I didn't want to kind of find myself early on when we were trying to find, fill the building, I didn't want to fill it suddenly with like a bunch of no offense to them but like accountants and you know whatever we could get in just to get the place filled up i thought well we, if we're going to do it we need to have this stick to the vision mm. and um which i'm really glad we did and i don't know about you but i mean i really it's you, you it's gut instinct of mm. people isn't it? Mm. i meet everyone that moves in and i just see how i feel about them mm. and i'm quite good at no sort of noticing whether people are on their best behavior because oh, really? of space or if they're if someone comes along and they're a show off we just don't give them a spot you know mm. it's about being really supportive of, of creativity because my kind of feeling on on art and creativity is that it's the, the bottom line is that it's self-expression and self-expression is a very fragile thing for a lot of people mm -hmm. um even to say oh i like that jumper more than that jumper can be a stretch for, for, for a lot of people um and um so i really it's been really important to me all along that we we really try and make it a place where people can 
you know they can express themselves however they like with what they're doing in their art and and what's lovely is we've had people move in who just want to try something uh, and they felt nurtured and they felt supported and you know like it's really nice I had a lovely conversation with someone the other day and and I think she'd she'd sort of fallen into that trap of feeling like you have to explain your art and your creativity which is a lie and a, and a falsehood <laughs> to explain shit is playing you know it's it's exploring and it's fun and like you shouldn't have to kind of like say oh this is my response to the space or or whatever you can just say here's a thing I did yeah um and you know taste is obviously a, is a complicated element where art is concerned but you know that bottom line like I say of self-expression is um is all that really matters isn't it you know it really is it how many people have you got there how many other artists are there? how many There's about 30 of us oh wow yeah. So it's what's lovely again about the building. I mean, it's a very nondescript building. It's a sort of two-story red brick old office thing. It's got a. It's got this slight weird, subtle '60s American really design, sense. which I which I have grown really fond of. Um, but if it if the building was any bigger, no one would know each other. If it was any smaller, it wouldn't have any energy it just wouldn't be busy enough so it's it's just at that perfect size where people develop friendships and you know interact um socially as well as with work and it's um it's worked out great really it is a it is an extraordinary place and it's one of those places where you walk in and you can feel the atmosphere the atmosphere is nurturing and you've deliberately created this I, I sense in that you know you've got this communal space where there's sofas and a table to sit around and kitchen and people go there people want to be in there and have their lunch in there rather than in their studio or whatever and you just yeah. hear people chatting and they'll chat and they'll be there for ages chatting and you can tell that there's an energy created and people are sparking off each other and I, I mean, think some it's... of them are lazy <laughs> yeah obviously <laughs> That's really nice to hear, though, because that is, you know, there's so many little things that I that I've done with the place that I thought almost make it more difficult, but actually, in the big picture, are, are quite good. You know, like in the kitchen, we only have one table. You know, it's a big enough room that we could have put a bunch of tables in, so there was always somewhere to sit. And I was like, we have one big table, and you know. But it Everyone. makes it feel like a family room, which is really yeah. clever. Whether that was deliberate or not, it's really clever because you've got, it's, you've got like your sitting room with the sofas and then you've got this big table and you just feel, well, that's where I'm going to sit with my bowl of soup I've just heated up or whatever. And then other mm. people come and join you. You, you don't yeah. have to sit in isolation. There's somebody who's going to come in and have a chat with you. There, there does seem to be this weird thing with arts places where they kind of go in one of two directions with the with their kind of presentation. One is they'll be kind of super messy, artsy, loads of stuff in the corridors and stuff. And I find those places really inspiring and um, and I love them. And I, I, part of me wishes we had a bit more of that. And then the other side is the um, kind of like too much office furniture, you know, like mm. um, a bit too busy or something. And I all I wanted was it for, for it to be homely because I thought, I like 
personally to separate and compartmentalize work and home. I don't like them to, to mix for me. Um, physically, I guess I mean, I don't like working from home at all. Um, I like to be able to sort of feel like I'm going to work. But having said that, you know, I made my home the way that I like it. So why would I not make my workspace the way that I like it? You know, why would I make it feel like a, a boring office? Mm -hmm. um, so that was from from day one, you know, I, there was a poor, poor few unsuspecting people who came to look around old jet when I was doing it up there on my own, like a maniac. And we didn't have any lights on. I had, I had to sort of like walk around with a spotlight. <laughs> candle. Like, a candle. <laughs> And I, I sense there are a lot of people, you know, and I have to meet people at the main gate and I'd be in my kind of boiler suit and I had a big beard at the time. And I do think there are probably a few people that were like, am I going to get out of here alive? <laughs> so they're going to find me under the concrete. <laughs> but I'd show them round and you'd, I'd, you'd kind of like, you know, there'd be like a sign here saying no entry asbestos and a you know, dead rat over there and stuff. And, and weirdly, the take up wasn't great. So... <laughs> I thought I'll sort out the kitchen because the kitchen's the heart of the home and, and I'd like it to be the heart of this place. So I put down some nice flooring, painted it some super middle-class Farrow and Ball um, colour and, and kind of made it feel homely. And then, and kind of did the corridors a bit. So then people came in and they were like, oh, I, I see what the, the, the feel is and the idea. And then we just did the rooms to order. So, you know, we'd have to put down screed flooring and paint that and, there's a lot of a lot of ripping out old stuff to do, but um, but maybe so, that's another reason why it's been so successful because you've slowly allowed it to grow as people joined you to the yeah. point now where you've got this huge waiting list. Yeah. I imagine you're still growing as well because I know there are other buildings <laughs> in and around there. I honestly, my my dream is to take on this other building that's kind of op just opposite us. That's basically a single story version of what we've got. And it's... Is that the one with the holes in the roof and everything? Lots of green growing up. No, not that one. Not so, that one. No, directly opposite, there's a hangar. Yes. It's behind that. So we put some, a track around it, basically. But I'd love to take that on and have ceramics and sculpture and, you know, stuff like that going on. A bit more of the, the kind of messier end of the arts. We've got a lot of musicians and photographers and stuff in the main building um, who are quite sort of... That's definitely the tidier end of the arts. Mm. But it is the, it's just the outlay. I don't have time to do the work myself now. And, um, you know, you're talking about like just to get the keys, do all the deposits and legal fees is like 15 grand. And then you've got to do up an eight and a half thousand square foot building, mm. um, rewire it, put a boiler in, all of this stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of chipping away at that in my mind. I had a really interesting conversation with someone um, a couple of years ago that as creative people, you might be interested in yourselves, that was about um, why you do, why you make decisions and why you do things and um, an idea anchoring. Have you come across that before? No, I idea never anchoring. It's really, it's a really fascinating thing to keep at the back of your mind when you're making decisions. It's the, the basic concept is, um, if I show you a bunch of flowers and um, it, they all stick up like this and they're all yellow and you've never seen a bunch of flowers before 
your brain says, that's a bunch of flowers, tick. If I then come across you, you know, you come across someone else and they show you a bunch of flowers that's all different colors and it's kind of, a, you know, a sphere, they're like, well, that isn't, that isn't pointing up in yellow. Mm -hmm. It's not quite a bunch of flowers. I don't know if I like it. And that's a very simple, you know, example. But when you apply that to sort of bigger things and creativity, it can be can be really dangerous and it can be a trap that you don't realise you've fallen into. A, a, an example I've had here recently is my recording studio. My idea anchor is the recording studios that you had in the 60s where there's a big mixing desk and a window and then a big room with a band playing in it, mm. which is what everyone thinks of when they mm. think of a recording studio. That's what I visualise. Yes. <laughs> and that, that, Sorry. Yeah, that's an idea anchor and everyone had it. But if you walked into my studio, you'd probably think, well, what madman works in here? Because I've laid it out how I want it to function and how I want to work in it. So it's kind of the big room has got all of the mixing desk and all my keyboards and everything and everything's kind of round in a big horseshoe shape and it's completely kind of weird and there's no big window at all it's just a door through to a smaller room so the reason I did that was because with that idea anchoring approach to the studio that I had before it was slowing me down because I was forever having to go through into another room or take one thing out and go and get another thing and set it up um, so I threw that away and I've tried to apply that a bit to old jet in general. Um, and, you know, in my thinking about what workspace is, what is conducive to um, creativity. Um, and also remembering that it's not just my taste, you know, there's lots of people with different tastes wanting to use the space. Um, and with regards to this other building and kind of expanding it, you know, I, I, I guess I want to make sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons and not that it's this kind of idea anchor of what an arts centre should be, because an arts centre can be whatever I want it to be, you know, I'm in charge. <laughs> um, so there's that side of it. And, and then also, of course, we're all um, hugely guilty, whether we admit it or not, of, um, of, of, you know, being somewhat obedient and subservient to our egos. And I had to ask myself, am I wanting to take that building on because I want Old Jet to be bigger and better, mm. you know, and be the best in the area? And yeah, of course I do. I mean, I'd be, you know, lying if I didn't want to say I didn't want it to be great and, and everyone say, this place is amazing. But when I dug deeper, I did realise that I think what it offers and what it, you know, the ethos of the place is has value and is it's more than just you know about having somewhere to go and work it's about the, the nurturing side and the community side and 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 all of that stuff and and why not have more of that you know so how do you ensure that happens i mean i know obviously you said you'll you have a gut feel about people and <laughs> if they're if they're well, I mean, I'm not quite awful. suitable they don't get in <laughs> but how do you encourage that nurturing and community i mean what well there's loads of little things that we do um and some of them quite subtle there's a lot of um 
I mean, I, I always get a buzz out of connecting people for a start anyway, mm. you know, saying, oh, it probably drives people mad. But I say, you've got to meet so-and-so, you'd love them. They, they do all of this stuff and it would be right up the street. Um, so I really enjoy that side of, of um, well, life, not just the arts and business, mm. but, you know, just, uh, it's great when you see people connecting who, um, who you know, will really get on. So I, I'm very proactive with that side of it. Um, I'm conscious of not having too much of one thing here. So if we had all photographers, it could cause friction. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of little things like we have on the, when you walk in the front door, there's a, a wall of Polaroids that has a picture of everyone on it and their name underneath it. So, you know, that awful thing when you're working in a building full of people and you think, yeah. I can't remember the name of that woman that I say hello to every single day. And I can't ask her now because I've been speaking to <laughs> yeah. her for six months. <laughs> I've, been, I've been for 15 years. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's none of that. And people can, you know, and we have a nice little WhatsApp group that's, um, that isn't too much of a chore for people, I hope. And one of the things that people you know like you know the old um expression you can take the horse to water or whatever mm. one of the things that we've we've done in the past which i feel has been absolutely brilliant and people um sort of didn't didn't engage with as much as i'd like them to is we used to have these social lunches bridget you've been to a yeah, few of those yeah. and um and they were kind of in you know we'd invite people and have a one pot wonder like a curry or whatever and um, and people would talk. They'd sit down, eat simple food. I mean, this is the long tables and yeah, it's the essence. And try and do it on one table if we can. If it, and this is loads of people, but it's the essence of community, you know, and communion and this this you know eating together. Mm. Um, and like you were saying, it's also a kind of you know, it's something you associate with family, I guess. Um, and those lunches, I've lost count of the amount of times people have said afterwards, I met this amazing person, we're going to do this project together, you know, we had a brilliant time. But then what was so infuriating was I'd organised these lunches, no one would tell me if they were coming or not. And so I'd sort of, the person, whoever was cooking, they'd say, well, you know, how many people are coming? I'd say, well, only four people have said they're going to turn up. And then maybe 40 would turn up. It's a very small lunch. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know about you guys, but like there is something to be said for like just sitting down and eating with people. There's mm. something so much more real about it than, than having like a meeting mm -hmm. or whatever, mm. you know. Mm. You associate um, agenda with meeting. There's two words that you put together mm. don't you and the only agenda we're sitting down to eat together is eating mm. you know that's one of the most natural things you can do um so yeah and anyway. there's something about when you're when you're eating you don't have to look at somebody all of the time you don't have to look like you're concentrating yeah. all of the time you exactly. can be really listening and you can yeah. choose your moment to say something if you wish to whereas in a meeting you're quite it's so much more formal and I mean, I yeah. fortunately don't live a life where I really do meetings, but I imagine so much more <laughs> stiff and staid and yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, and you're sort of thinking about your body language all the time, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. And crumbs nice to sort of worrying about your body language. That used um, to be my life. <laughs> what do you mean? Tell me. I used to have, I used to work in um, corporate 
world mm-hmm. used to work in printing so I used to be a, like a, a manager of a in an office worked in an office for years and years I just so. can't imagine you being happy in that scenario Fiona no <laughs> didn't like it I actually did like it I did li- I liked it I liked um so it, it was within print so the 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 print itself was quite interesting you know there was sort of like creativity side but it was getting more and more down the route of um computers and those sort of things and mm-hmm. it was just getting more and more data driven and it, and that's what I didn't like and and that's when I just thought no I'm going to do something more creative and left it behind but no I used to be mm-hmm. a, in the corporate world for about I think it was 18 years some people love it yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say I loved it. I, d- I didn't hate my job. You know, I wasn't <laughs> one of those that went to work and thought, oh, I don't want to do that. But um, but you escaped and didn't yeah. go back. Yeah. And those people <laughs> probably would not recognise me now. Mm. You know, just a very different person. Mm. Don't you hate it when you hear um, people say hump day? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, all the blooming cliches that you get. Well, I, just think, I think to myself, do something you like. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right and also when you when you do your own thing particularly in the creative world every day's a work day yeah it's just you know it doesn't matter which day of the week it is it's a work day whether that's being inspired on the dog walk or you know feeling like you just got to go and do something that is technically work because you can't resist it you know yeah absolutely amazing but you also do stuff at the weekends old jet don't you, you have your your markets and things you do well, sort of very charitable orientated there's you haven't touched on this but you are very um conscious of community beyond old jet and the music world that you're in and supporting community and giving something back aren't you i mean i i don't want to be like one of those awful people that talks about that do you know what i mean yes He's yeah, like, you've been asked about it. Now. <laughs> raised a hundred thousand pounds for something awareness. Um, the I suppose all that I'll say about that is that it's I feel like it's a bit like dropping a pebble in a pond, and you know if you if you can help, you know say for example we bought a load of new chairs for a local nursery, and that all their chairs were broken, and it's a small amount of money. It's not a big deal, but they were chuffed to bits. And there's a little ripple from it. And there's a little feel good thing that I think, you know, there's enough of those little pebbles dropping in the pond and, and people doing bits and bobs like that. It, it does galvanize a community and, and, um, and somehow, sort of, you know, it sort of seeps in and, and I think people feel it. So they're doing our, our monthly market is a kind of it's a it's a twofold thing on the one hand i mean it's complete it's a terrible idea from a business perspective because it basically costs us money you know but <laughs> on the one hand it's great because it brings community together and i know tons of people who'd only see each other sort of once a month because they'd come to the market and we you know we'd sell all this sort of have all these sellers selling vintage stuff and interesting bits and bobs but we'd also have good coffee and cakes and um and we always had this great friend of ours called ben djing playing vinyl and and um you know try and make it feel like a little festival i mean it, it's a small thing the market it's tiny but it does bring people together 
and it has raised money so all of the pitch fees we we basically just put into a separate account and um and we divvy it out to to things that we think are cool or or you know where we see people that need stuff but it's it's you know it's it's a bit of a funny subject really because I feel like you can, you can, you can, I don't know. I sort of think you should do that stuff in secret. And, and yeah. we always did. We always did. And then recently, well, I say recently, a year or so ago, someone said, you really must tell people about that side of the business because people love to know that and, and it inspires them to, to try and do stuff for their community. Um, I'm still on the fence about that, but well I think I know, I know what you mean I think it's like when people ask you to give something to charity and you think well you don't know what I already do because yeah. I do it privately Honestly, or I make yeah. my make my donations to to the causes that are important to me yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I only have a small pot and it can only go so far and I've made my choice and you, and you should never feel like you have to explain that to anybody I don't think yeah. but I do think the person who said that to you about your um the market I think it's very valid because if you didn't make it clear that every what you collect goes towards charitable things in the community, people might just think that, well, that's just another exercise for bringing in money to old jet, yeah. which isn't the case at all. And in fact, mm -hmm. I imagine the effort of pulling that all together every month, you know, that's not a simple thing to do to, the communication of making sure that people are coming and getting the information out there to, to potential people who can come and it's well even just setting it up is you know setting it up and packing it up is a, is a day and a half um mm. and yeah booking all the stalls there, there is a lot involved um and you know every penny that comes in from the market we don't cover our costs and then whatever's left we put in the pot every penny that comes in goes in the pot and we our charitable contribution is paying, you know, paying ellie to to do the work and stuff mm. um and there's been some really cool stuff that's come out of it and and also like it is really fun the market you know if you can do something good and it be fun that's all right so yeah, that's, that's definitely a win-win isn't it <laughs> did it carry on over covid no, we stopped when we had to stop. And then rather than kind of starting up and stopping again, we, when I say we, Ellie, who, who works for me and is awesome, um, we had a chat about it and basically decided let's not do anything at all unless we can, it can be really fun. So, you know, like I'd, I'd sort of had this vision in my head of like the market with everyone in hazmat suits. Um, <laughs> It just would be rubbish. It would be horrible. Gas masks. <laughs> We've got some old US Air Force gas masks kicking around you can borrow. Yeah. So, you know, the event side of things, we've got no plans at all. I mean, we've only got one potential event that we're going to put on, which I think would be absolutely awesome, which is with um, the Royal, Ball Royal Ballet's in-house pianist. Oh, wow. And, and she is just like sensational on the piano um so we want to do an outdoor thing with her and another girl who does um modular synthesis i don't know if you, you know like synthesizers kind of weird keyboards it's kind of all of 
all of those built into like one big thing and it's completely unpredictable and it's almost the absolute opposite end of the spectrum to kind of a classical pianist where you're really really governed by the piece that you're playing and with, with modular synthesis the the equipment does the thinking for you almost and, and you have to kind of keep up with it it's quite it'd be quite cool to do that i, I really hope you can do that but yeah like i say it just don't, i don't want to do anything at all and until it can be fun you know yeah mm. That's how I feel. So about I was quite looking at things. <laughs> yeah, yes, we haven't done anything for a long time. Mm. I was looking at the website and um, I was looking at the residency side. How does that work? Is that a space that you can sort of like rent or have for a week or something? Yeah. So we've got a room um, in the main building. We've got, I should mention we've got five buildings now. Um, so it has grown quite big, but the main building that's the kind of heart of the place. There's a room in there which is. I think it's about seven metres by seven, five, uh, five or six metres probably. Um, and it's got blackout blinds on the curtains and, and, a, and on the door. And um, there's a sofa bed and it's basically just a big open space. It's got white walls, um, got an easel and a desk and some lamps and sofa, you know, the sofa bed, um, a stereo. It's got a little piano. And what we do is... Um, we just let people use book in for a week. They can stay if they want to. There's a shower and stuff. Um, most people don't want to stay because it's hella creepy here at night. Oh. With the aliens. <laughs> With the aliens. I've been there and it's quite late and it's quite creepy. <laughs> but I, I got weirdly used to it. I quite like it now. Um, <laughs> what's really cool is like you'll go out, you'll go out to, to leave late at night and you'll see just like amazing wildlife you'll see herds of deer and all sorts of stuff going on because the site is a thousand acres it's a big the, the whole air force base is a thousand acres um so yeah the residency side you, you have a week you know basically free and we don't ask anything because i think there's a there's this weird agenda with most artists residencies where at the end of your time you have to give a lesson a class or you have to donate a piece of work whatever and I just think comes I mean you know you're instantly attaching a kind of mm. um a weight to it mm. that's mm. utterly unnecessary and if you've got the space and can, can do it then why not you know it's cool and you meet interesting people and and um you know it's all again just part of your kind of bigger wider artistic community and then so what we do so that we're not completely um shooting ourselves in the foot financially is we then just charge a small amount if people want to do more than a week um just so that it's not kind of permanently being used for free uh, and we'll we'll sort of limit you know limit each residency to two or three weeks but it's something that's in its infancy but it's really we've got probably five or six booked in at the moment we wipe i mean the diary got completely wiped out uh, residency wise obviously because of covid and that's just starting to get going again but they're, they're cool i like them you know yeah no it looks really interesting it was like yeah because because often we're looking for sort of spaces and and it, it just sort of resonated from that point of view you know it just it sort of felt you start thinking oh is that a sort of place that we could do something i mean i don't know if it is but well for... um i mean because we're always very um we'd use a lot of water so <laughs> 
would have to be at the messy end. The floor would have to, we would definitely be the messy end. <laughs> yeah, yeah Jesse's seen me arriving, leaving leaves in the corridor. And... <laughs> I'll never forget we had when, one of the things that Bridget was working on in, it, we've got this building called the Flight Sim, Flight Simulator, which is an old flight simulator training building. Oh, wow. And the main room in it, it, it is 50 feet by 50 feet by 35 feet. So it's almost like a big cube, isn't it? It is. It's and massive. yeah, it's a wicked room. But you came in and made this beach scene. Do you remember? Yes, I remember. <laughs> there's, this huge, there's this huge room. And when you'd cleared up and gone, all that was left was this, like a few tons of sand in a <laughs> Didn't clear up very well then, Bridge. <laughs> well, I haven't got very big muscles. <laughs> What what was really funny was one of the one of the guys at Old Jet is he's a writer and he was writing this book where he basically travelled around uh, the UK visiting like cemeteries and graveyards. Oh, it's like, Jack, isn't it? Jack Cook, and it's an absolutely brilliant book. Has this book just come out? Yeah, check it out. It's called The End of the Road. It is so good. But to do it, he bought this like giant old seventies Jaguar hearse. And we needed to park it somewhere. So we put it in the flight simulator and I was showing these people around. And so I showed them this building and we walked into the room and all that was in there was a, this massive old hearse and like a huge pile of sand. And they were, you know, they were already like, it's a weird sight, but they were a bit- <laughs> Freaked out. What the hell's going on in here? You know, what kind of art do you, art do you call it? <laughs> Imaginative. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think we could film something out of it. But it's um it's a great building that it's a, and it's a brilliant space. Um but even over the year that we were working in there, that really changed over time, didn't it? I mean you, I don't know whether you probably realise how much you're chipping away constantly well, you must do, uh, at old jet. There's something yeah. new around the corner all the time. Yeah. I've got two things to say about that, if you're interested. Yes. <laughs> um, one is uh, slow and steady gets you there. Um, I don't think you have to rush these things. And sometimes people will come back and they say, have you done such and such? And I'll think, well, I've been talking about it for five years, but the time hasn't been right, so I don't care. Um, and then there's other things that happen overnight. Um, and I, I believe that's a good thing to keep at the back of your mind in life, just like, you don't have to rush everything. Um, and the other thing that I feel really strongly about having set the place up is that it's really important to um, like notice your, as you pass goals, mm. you know mm. what I mean? Mm. So you can think like my, one of my original goals at Old Jet would be get the kitchen done. And by the time it's done and you put that last sort of piece of furniture in, you're so busy thinking, get that room done, that you don't even notice it. And you live your whole life never realising how awesome you are. <laughs> uh, do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. We're always thinking about the next thing. And, and yeah. um, so although I, I, totally, I totally get what you mean, I don't notice things changing. But every so often I, I, I'll sort of reflect on where it's at and tell myself off for sort of thinking, oh, but I want it to be here and I wish we'd done this. Mm. And, I, you know, I'll give myself a little reminder that we've done a lot and and you know 
people like the place. It's, it's good. It's, it sounds amazing. It, it does amazing. sound amazing. Right, girls, when you really? next come yeah. here, yeah. we're going to go and see Jessie and you can go and see this awesome place. Excellent. I'd love to see it. The <laughs> I, want to see that, the I want to see the hangar that's got the green stuff growing up through it as well. Yeah. That sounds beautiful. I know. I did do quite a big inspection of that, but I, let's just say it's possibly not safe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> quite, quite building that. Yeah. <laughs> So Jesse, you're going to be touring again soon, aren't you? So people keep asking me about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's very enthusiastic. What I've done is I, I basically sent an email to, to our manager and said, or a management company, and I said, here are the dates this year that I can't do anything. Like whatever, you know, do whatever you like with the rest of it. So it's because it's changed so many times now that I've just stopped checking. <laughs> oh, you I are checked today. <laughs> I checked today and you're starting on the 1st of July. Did you know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't. Where, Bridge? Yeah. Oh, now that I didn't write down, but I thought, I thought Jesse might know. I didn't think I needed to write that piece of information. <laughs> way because we've, we've had those, we've had loads of those that have been booked in and then they've change them and so I just sort of wait until they say right you need to be here on this date but I mean that does fill me slightly with dread because I picked up my base the other day and couldn't even remember which way around it went <laughs> strings <laughs> on the outside let's go back to the shaker it'll be fun yeah exactly but yeah but you are you you can play a lot of instruments can't you you can Turn your hand to most of them. Back to the one-man band. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's another thing. Here's another one of my many irritating thoughts that I that I have about things. Um, is sometimes the things that you think about yourself that you think are a weakness are actually your greatest strength. And I've always thought I'm, you know, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. But that's pretty cool, I think. Like I'm, I can, I can play a bunch of instruments, and maybe I'm not a virtuoso on any of them, but I can hold my head up and say, yeah, I could join in, you know, on stage in front of a big audience on, I don't know, at least four or five instruments. That's quite impressive. Yeah, and you can sing. Oh well, I, I'm. It's it. It's a work in progress. Me agreeing with you on that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was watching a video this morning of you, Mount Desolation. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're doing some writing for another Mount Desolation album at the moment. It's going quite well. Um, that's a great... So that band um, started off... We were on tour in, in um, around Europe and we were in Dublin and we were staying in this amazing hotel with a kind of like peat fire and all this stuff. And it got really late and me and Tim from Keane were up with our manager, Adam, drinking Guinness and we said oh wouldn't it be fun because Keen is a machine with a lot of money involved and a lot of people involved and it, you know it, it's it has to work really well um we sort of said oh wouldn't it be great just to do a record an album in a day and call it like my dog has fleas and it just be like a hoedown record <laughs> so we we said oh let's do it let's do it you know and then we both wrote a few songs for, for this kind of down record that actually were really good <laughs> and um we were like oh maybe we should take it a bit more seriously but a big part of that original 
spirit remained and we we recorded a lot of it live we just got a bunch of friends together for it and i love that first album we did it's it's really special um it's got a lot of um it's got a lot of emotion in it even kind of almost accidentally because it was it was a, it was a bit like you know in the, in the tradition of country music it was a storytelling album so you, you're kind of writing about a lot of its fiction but you in in doing that you also obviously impart your own kind of experience into things um so yeah we're doing another one of those we, we did another one in 2018 which was fun but um yeah you seem to be very um good at finding avenues for your own creativity you, you know you're not you're not just satisfied with one place one area it, see, it seems like you have a need to enmesh yourself into all sorts of different creative avenues he's a restless he is a restless creative <laughs> exactly he's our person <laughs> it's um it's very easy i think especially for creative people to think that that is what your teachers called at school not concentrating yes <laughs> lack of focus <laughs> not focus they didn't spend so much time looking out the window so <laughs> the first time a teacher said that about one of my kids my am i allowed to swear on here yes yeah my wife said well they shouldn't be such a fucking boring teacher it's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. so true isn't yeah. it you know i mean yeah. it's true, just um, but the, so the other day, I've been doing this Artist's Way course. I don't know if any of you have done that, which has oh, yeah. been really fascinating. And um, one of the things in it was it was looking at kind of your your sort of formative years as a creative person, and and trying to trying to get my head around that. I said I called my mum and said, "Have you still got my school reports?" And she dug them out from somewhere and, and I read them all and I felt like crying oh. I mean, it was horrible absolutely horrible even music you know one there was one that made me like they basically all said he's obviously an intelligent child but just doesn't try he's disruptive you know and one of them cracked me up it said exam result 96 percent admittedly his exam result is very good but <laughs> But he's still destructive and could do better. I was like, good grief. <laughs> well, I, I felt really affected by it. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, what does this, what impact has this had on me as an adult mm. making art? And so I put it on Instagram. And I'm, I've got a real love-hate relationship with Instagram. But the side of it that I do like is um, any sense of actual vulnerability or sharing of, of, um experience like kind of real experience and i said you know this this is kind of funny but i found it quite emotional and i could not believe the number of messages i got from people saying all of my report cards are exactly the same and you're talking about people that are really successful in all kinds of fields and you know and even people that i don't know just have found it fallen into a job and, and plodded along with it or whatever and uh, it made me feel a lot better, but I also thought, like, what the hell? That's not. Mm. This is not how we should be bringing up kids. Mm. Um, especially because creativity and daydreaming is innate. You know, it's what what you do when you're a kid, isn't it? I think anyway, it's fundamental. We've we've talked about that yeah, we have. ourselves, haven't we? Quite a lot. <laughs> mm. Mm. 
Right, Jesse, I'm conscious of the time. And we do this thing towards the end of the TRC5. Check us out. <laughs> <laughs> so they're quick fire questions, but you don't have to answer them quickly if you don't want to. You're allowed to expand. Budget. You should know that after however long it's been, 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but this first question I wanted to ask you, I was going to ask you another question, but so I want to uh, tell you why I'm asking it rather than it being a quick fire. Because I know that despite the fact that you said you didn't really want to talk about charity too much, I know you did the war child thing with old Jet just recently. And I know you've got a history with them as well, haven't you? Yeah. And you did a triathlon-ish kind of thing for mm -hmm. war child raising money. Yeah. So my first question is, run, walk or cycle? Well, it depends on the context. I, mean, I don't want to go into another <laughs> rambling... <laughs> Well, which of the three do you prefer <laughs> i've what i've learned recently about running i got quite into running and I, I got into that terrible thing of just sort of constantly chasing a person a new personal best and i went for a run with a friend of mine who's uh, a bit older than me and he said oh can we walk for a bit and i was like god what, what are you talking about you know <laughs> and we walked and we were up around sutton who which is i don't know if um mm -hmm. if you've oh, the film. The yeah the film yeah. But we were up around there and um, it was early morning and I was like, this is super nice. Why would I not stop when I'm on a run and, and like see the, you know, see the surroundings? So I don't know, we all put too much pressure on ourselves, don't we? Um, so so your answer? Go, my, <laughs> my answer is run. Oh, it is a run. I thought you were going to say walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Next question. Singing or bass? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I find it's funny how, uh, you know, not, I'm not going to start rambling, I promise, but singing. We like I rambling. Have, no, we do like uh, rambling. Yeah. I find a lot of the things that, that we are passionate about in life are the things that bring us the least joy. Um, but we just have this built-in kind of desire. Like, and I feel a bit like that with singing. I hate the sound of my voice. I hate recording and listening back to it makes me feel sick, but I just have to do it. <laughs> Whereas with bass, I feel like it's a bit of a kind of, um, you know, I sort of feel, I don't feel any huge passion about the bass. So I can just enjoy it for what it is. And it's a hugely satisfying instrument to play through a massive PA, you know, as you can imagine. Mm. Um, so I can't, I don't know how to answer that one. If I had to give up one, I would give up bass. So oh, gonna... okay, that's interesting. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Singing it is then. Yeah. Whether it's the shower or in front of thousands of people. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands. Right, next question. Can you draw? I am gonna say yes, because I think everyone can draw. Um, but can, can I, could I draw a beautiful picture of you? No, I would make you look like you were made of, I don't know, a lump of clay or something. Well, that's pretty much <laughs> reality. <laughs> um, I, can't I can't draw technically. I couldn't draw a beautiful portrait of anyone, um, but, I, but I do like drawing. And I, I feel like sometimes um, another um, creative um, trap we fall into is thinking of ourselves as only 
being our creativity applying to a specific sense. So for a lot of years, I thought, oh, my creativity is, is oral. It's about music and it's about hearing sounds. I'm not a visual, visually creative person, but um, obviously that's absolute nonsense. You know, it's interesting because our very first guest we interviewed, Rose mm. Davy, she's an artist and we asked her about a specific, it was, I guess you'd call it an installation, which she sort of came, came to where she she makes these on the face of it they look very simple but it's all about color and about framing things and her mum had as a throwaway comment like mums do said oh it looks a bit like a cheese board and she thought right well I'm actually I'm, I'm going to take that comment and go with it and she actually put cheese onto these paintings and then let her guests come and actually start diving in with a knife and eating the cheese and she said it was just incredible to see it in a in a completely different way and to see people hovering thinking can i eat the cheese is the cheese yeah. for us to have or oh, are we supposed to look not. at the cheese <laughs> you, know? like, you put it there you're lost <laughs> <laughs> it's she said to start with that people were sort of like looking at it standing back and looking at it like it was a piece of art yes. and then she said didn't she say that she said you can eat now and she said it was like just unleashing <laughs> everybody and they all just whistle. charged in <laughs> It's really interesting how people consume art of all sorts and, you know, and how, what they feel they should, how they feel they should react to things. Mm. 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 And I think your, your comment about everybody can create something artistically is absolutely true. I really, mm. and I just think we have a tendency to knock that out of children at a very early age when they're open to everything. Well, also we make everything so bloody goal-based. I mean, it's, it's so sad. I, I, I mean, a great, I, I thought that I'd reached an age where no great loves would appear, you know, in my life. I knew what I was into. And a few years ago, it was a really hot sunny day and I was walking along the river in, in the town that I live in, in Woodbridge. And I thought, I'm bloody going in that river. It looks lovely, and I just jumped in, and I, I don't know what's coming. Yeah, and it, it, but it's tidal, so it's salt water, so you can kind of float. And um, and I I thought this is amazing. So I went back, and there was a bunch of people that went swimming every day, and there was one one lady who was like ninety four or something, and um, so I went in there every day for this summer, and I thought, oh, I love this, but then I hijacked myself by creating this ridiculous goal. I was like, right, I'm going to get a wetsuit and I'm going to learn how to do really good front crawl. And I'm going to do all of this stuff because you're raised in our education system to be for everything to be goal-based or competitive. And then I stopped myself and I said, what is it that I actually really like about the swimming? And what it is that I love is to just swim out to the nearest boat and lie on my back and float and look at the sky. And it is the nearest that I ever come to absolute just kind of peace and happiness in life. And I was instantly trying to hijack it. Mm. It's extraordinary. Mm. So I, I, you know, I think you've got to be really careful with so many elements of your life that you don't suddenly attach all these goals to it. Like, oh, if yeah. I'm going to draw and I've just drawn a sort of blob, I should give up because it's not, you know, this incredible photographic image of, a, of someone, you know. Um, be warned, children. Very, very <laughs> true. Right, fourth question. Recent book. These aren't very quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> What's the I most recent read. book you've read, if you read? 
Um, well, I've, like I said, I've been reading this book, The Artist's Way, which has been absolutely fascinating. And I recommend it to anyone who does anything creative. Um, but it's a commitment. It's a 12-week course. Um, so that's been fascinating and changed my life, really. And then I've been reading, um, sort of alongside of that, I've been reading some Flannery O'Connor. I don't know if you've ever come across Flannery O'Connor. She's an amazing American author. Um, but she only really wrote short stories, but they are hella good. Um, I think she was in it was 50s or 60s. So, yeah, I've been reading that. Mm. Love it. Mm. We, we put links up on our website to everything you mentioned as well, so people can go and have a look. Oh. Now, here's, here's the clincher, number five. What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done, Jesse? Um, <laughs> loads of dangerous things when I was a kid that my mum's always telling me about. We want to hear them all. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the le a lady that worked opposite my parents' house knocked on the door one day and said, look, I don't want you to panic, but your child's on the roof. And I was sitting completely naked on, on the pitch roof with one leg either side, aged like four. Oh, four? Yeah. And my dad had left a ladder somewhere and there's like a flat bit and I just got up there. And my, you know, my dad's like, <laughs> he thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah, I'd probably say that was one of the more dangerous things I've done in my life. I ride a motorbike, which I'm every time I get on that, I feel slightly like I'm going to kill myself. But mm. I dawdle along on it. So it's not too bad. <laughs> I'm now dying to know how on earth your mum got you down from that roof without panicking everybody in the process. <laughs> we had the same thing. We went round to someone's for, the, for a barbecue when my son was... <laughs> two i mean yeah he was two so he was walking around and he was doing stuff but they'd had like a single story kind of outbuilding in their house so it had a ladder leaning up against it but it was like that so the top of the ladder went way above the building and someone said i don't need to panic but your son's at the top of that ladder and you look down, he climbed all the way to the top of this ladder he must have been like 25 feet in the air in just midair and i thought obviously something hereditary <laughs> Yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah, anyway, it's, it's um, he came down. Well, good to do dangerous things once in a while, otherwise you get boring. As long as you survive. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesse, we must let you go because we've taken up a lot of your time. But you have been awesome. Yes, thank you. So I've taken it's up been a lot of your time, but yeah. No, you've been fabulous. No, it's fascinating. Thank you so so much. And I'm very um, flattered and honoured to have been asked. So thank you very much. Well, you were, you were an obvious choice, but particularly because of your support of the of the creative mm. world, I just think that's um, I think ha having the position to do that is a is a really awesome thing. It's a lonely thing being creative on your own, mm -hmm. and then very yeah. often you are on your own. So, well, love we to come to... and see you at Old oh, Jet. Yeah, you're always welcome. Kettle's always hot. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> that's what we need. <laughs> Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you. All right. I'll see you again soon. Yeah, hopefully see yeah. you very soon. <laughs> thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Restless Creatives podcast. To ensure you don't miss our next episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Restless Creatives podcast. If you'd prefer to listen rather than watch us, you can catch us on one of your favoured podcast providers. For more sneak peeks and behind-the-scenes fun, visit our Instagram at the.restlesscreatives or visit our website 
therestlesscreatives.co.uk.